We'll be in Psalm 90 again today, uh, and I'll be preaching from verses 13 to 17, but I think we should read the whole psalm again. So, Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes. And grows up in the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us and the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this portion of your word. It is so uh, incredible, uh, Lord, that it lifts you up as the everlasting God. We cannot comprehend that, Lord, but help us to comprehend and understand, uh, Lord, what we what we could understand. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So, Lord, let these things that are revealed in this passage today powerfully come home to our hearts and our in our very soul. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So remember, this is a psalm of Moses, the only one in the Psalter. So it's the oldest psalm recorded. Moses, the man of God. Remember, Moses was called by God uh, to lead God's people. Even though he was raised as an Egyptian, he was a Hebrew. And uh, God called him to raise, uh, to lead a great multitude uh, of people by this time uh, out of Egypt. And then for 40 years after that, to lead them wandering around grumbling and complaining as they went, uh, this large group of people. Uh, and, of course, such a thing would either would do one of two things for Moses. It would either uh, 
develop great patience in Moses or it would cause him to get a little perturbed, (laughs) to be frustrated, to perhaps lose his temper from time to time. Well, for the most part, for the vast majority of the time, Moses was incredibly patient, the meekest man in all the earth, the Bible says. And yet there was at one point the time when he lost his patience and he exploded in anger at the people. He also disobeyed God's direct commandment, and he was punished by being kept from entering the land of promise. So when Moses wrote this psalm, I suspect he already knew this. And and, and, and instead of feeling sorry for himself uh, for not being able to enter the promised land, he writes one of the most God-exalting psalms recorded in all of Scripture. Moses knew that for himself, as well as the rest of God's people there in the wilderness, uh, they, they needed to look away from themselves, their trials, their troubles, their sins. They needed to look away from themselves. I'm speaking to you this morning <laughs> and to me. We need to look away from ourselves unto God. To look up and to see God for who he is. In this psalm, Moses teaches us that God is the dwelling place of his believing people throughout all generations. Before he created the world, from everlasting to everlasting, he's been God. He's been ever the same. And of course, you and I, what are we? We are finite. We are temporary. Our lives are full of trouble. Uh, suffering, and they are short lives. And then, of course, we die. And even if we live to be 70 or 80 or beyond, what is that? We're like grass. Remember Spurgeon's quote, sown, (laughs) grown, blown, moan, gone by the end of the day. So uh, Moses reminds us the reason for our lives being full of labor and sorrow and difficulty. It's because we sin and God is angry toward our sin. He does punish our sins. He disciplines us. In light of God's wrath, what are we to do? How do we respond to that? Well, one thing Moses teaches us to do is to then appeal to God directly. Directly go to God. You in Jesus' name, can go directly to God. You can speak to God and have His ear if you would go to Him directly through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And so Moses does that beginning in verse 12. It's the first request, the only one we actually looked at last week. Uh, And that request to God is, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So what, what Moses is saying, we need, Lord, we need your perspective on our lives. And most people, especially if we're in good health, we think, we don't think about our death. We think, I'm doing, I'm doing just fine, uh, and, and I know my life's coming to an end, but I don't really want to think about it. But, but the wise person thinks about it. The wise young person thinks about it, and the wise old person certainly needs to think about it. And we live our lives accordingly. In other words, in light of this, these, these truths that Moses presents in, in, in the first section, 
we need to live our lives for God. We need to prepare for eternity. If you're wise, you'll do that. Today's passage, we're going to look at five more petitions, requests that, that Moses has uh, that we should make our own. And if we will pray like Moses prays in, in verses 13 to 17, I think we'll experience, we'll begin to experience more of the joy of the Lord and the beauty of the Lord. We'll see what that means for our lives. So the first petition uh, that Moses offers is a prayer for God to return to his people. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. First of all, to notice about all these petitions, every one of them, they are uh, not individual prayers. Moses is not just praying for himself. They are corporate prayers. They're prayers for the whole group of God's people, the, uh, the, the covenant people of God. We would say today, the church, we, we, if we would pray these prayers, we should pray them not just for ourselves, but for the church, for all God's people, not just our own congregation. But for all the Christians who are worshiping the Lord, who are part of his blood-bought church in the world even. So let's pray for the church. Let's pray these prayers for this church and for the church of Jesus. After reviewing, as I said, God's judgment in verses 3 through 11, his anger, his wrath towards God's people, Moses pleads... That God would return. In verse 3, it says, you know, God speaks to man. He says, return to destruction. Return to the dust from which you came. Moses says, Lord, would you return to us? God, we need you to come back to us. You have left us alone. And sometimes, you know, the worst thing God could do is just to let you have your own way. To leave you to yourself. You'll find out soon enough uh, that it's not a pleasant way. It's not a good way. And hopefully, after a while, you and I will begin to pray this prayer. Uh, Lord, would you return to us? I thought I could be happy going my own way. Lord, it didn't work out. Would you return to me? Lord, have compassion on your servants. They were in need of, of this compassion, and they were. Uh, uh, it, it was good because God is a God of compassion, uh, and this word means to feel sorry for, to to relent, to be moved, to pity. Lord, will you not pity us and return to us? Lord, do you do you have some compassion for your people? How long, Lord? Will it be until you do return to us? You know, Moses, these are some bold prayers that he prays. And uh, he, he, he asks God, don't delay. We need you now. When are you coming, God? We can't wait any longer. What's the holdup? We need you. And you say, well, that kind of praying, it sounds a little irreverent. And it is indeed perhaps borderline, but... But it's not. You see, it was heartfelt. Moses was being honest with God. And sometimes we, we're we not very honest with God. We're afraid to, to simply say what is on our heart to God. 
And you see, when God sees that kind of faith that, that, that is just laying everything on the table like Moses does, I believe uh, he is moved to respond. I think we see that in Scripture. And um, when, when God told Moses in Exodus 33, uh, God told Moses, he says, you know what? Uh, these are stiff-necked people. Uh, you're going to go up and lead them. I'll send the angel of the Lord to be with you, but I'm not going up with you. What did Moses say at that point? Uh, he said to God, he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses said, that's the one thing we must have, Lord, is your presence. And I think, you know, a lot of people today would be happy, sadly, to have God meet all their needs and then just leave them alone. And here's, here's the way their prayer goes. Give me this. Give me that. Thank you, Lord. I'll call on you again when I run out of this or that. But the true believer is not satisfied with the blessings of God only. Those who know the Lord want Him. You see, this is what Moses is crying. Return. What? Return all the blessings? No. Just you. Lord, will you return? Uh, and that leads us to point two, the, prayer, the second prayer in verse 14. A prayer for satisfaction and joy in God. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Satisfy us. Moses knew the, wor- the things of the world would never satisfy Uh, Unless we have God, His blessings will not bless us. You see, uh, you may have a a plate of delicious food in front of you, but unless God blesses it to nourish your body, uh, it will not do that. Unless God blesses uh, the food to uh, your soul, uh, it it will not uh, be a blessing to you. So that's true with everything in life. And in this context, you see, what, what he's praying for is God's mercy. And it is the Hebrew word chesed. And it refers to God's loyal covenant love. And so I would ask you a question today. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with God's loyal love to, for you this morning? To be satisfied means to have enough, uh, to be, to have one's fill. And in this context, it means having more, even, uh, than just having your needs met. It's the idea of abundant provision, of more than enough. Are you satisfied with God? In Ephesians 3.19, the Apostle Paul prayed for believers, for the church, he says, you know, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. It's a prayer for abundance. Not merely to be satisfied with a little, but to be satiated, to experience fullness. Ephesians 5.18, the same letter that Paul wrote. He says, be filled with the Spirit. He didn't say, get some of the Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit. That means to be uh, allow Him to influence and, and spill into and over into every part of your life. To be filled with His love. You know, 
We're talking about covenant love. But it says the Spirit of God in Romans 5 has been poured out. The, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Wow. This is, this is good stuff. So are you filled with the Spirit? And what does that look like? Uh, do you want to be? You know, I think a lot of us are content. When I go to the ocean, um, Lord willing, we'll be going to the beach for a few days next month. And I like to get my toes wet. I really do. It's, it's a great feeling. You know? But I don't get out past my knees, generally speaking, anymore. I don't get out into the waves and swim with the sharks and jellyfish. I just, you know, and I certainly don't want to go past the waves where it's over my head and the, and the tide may carry me out to sea, right? I'm, I'm a bit uh, cautious when it comes to these kind of things. Uh, but with, you see, so many Christians are content with God to just say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Just let me dip my toes in the water. Oh, that, yeah, that's good. I went to church today and I'll be back next month or whatever, you know. Uh, now, Moses had a desire, you see, to go out to the ocean depths of God's mercy and grace. And so he also says, you know, he says, satisfy us early with your mercy. We, we looked at another psalm um, a few uh, weeks back that, that says, you know, I will seek you early. And, and we, we looked at what that means. It means given the first part of the day, given the first part of the week. This is the first day of the week. You know that, right? And that's, we're here on the first day of the week. So seek Him as early as possible in your life. Seek Him in your youth. What does the Bible say in Ecclesiastes? Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And you say, well, it's too late for that. I'm too old and I haven't sought Him really much in my life. Well, seek Him now. Seek Him today. And then the rest of your life will be blessed if you continue and that way, seek him as soon as possible so that you might be satisfied and filled in the future. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. So there's no excuse, you see. The only, the only reason why we wouldn't be filled with his mercy, his covenant love, is, is because we didn't want it. And why wouldn't we want it? I don't really know the answer to that question. Moses is praying, you see, for a new beginning. A fresh start. Do you need a fresh start? Do you need a new beginning in your own life? You say, well, it's too late for that. No, it's not. No, it is not. Plead with the Lord to satisfy you today. Just take, just take one day and say, Lord, will you satisfy me today that I might rejoice all my days? You begin now. But it will continue on. The Lord wants to give you more joy. Alexander McLaren said the only thing that will secure lifelong gladness is a heart satisfied with the experience of God's love. It's kind of like if you want gladness for the rest of your life, you need to be glad today. Be satisfied today with the Lord. And then tomorrow, again. So nothing is going to satisfy the human heart ultimately but God. Not your wife, not your husband, not your parents, not your children, not your work, not, not your money, not your possessions, uh, not your connections. God. God alone. 
will satisfy you. He wants to be your joy all your days to the very end of life. A third request. Now, moving to verse 15. A prayer for recompense for affliction. This is an interesting one here because Moses says, Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Now, Moses understood, and we need to understand, that God didn't owe them anything. He didn't have to make up anything for the suffering. They deserved the suffering and the affliction that they experienced, and more. Uh, so, this is not a plea for justice from Moses. Lord, you've given us this much affliction. Will you give us this much joy? No, no. Uh, he is praying uh, on the foundation of grace. He knows that if they got what they deserved, if they got justice, it would only be more affliction. And so uh, another thing to notice here in this verse is that Moses is acknowledging the sovereignty of God in our trials. Make us glad according to the days which you have afflicted us. You afflicted us, God. It didn't just happen. God wasn't just off somewhere, you know, in the distance saying, well, I couldn't help what happened, but I'll, um, I'm here to pat you on the back. That's the way a lot of uh, sermons, I've heard sermons like that. Well, uh, God, God didn't uh, bring this on a person's life, but he'll be there to help them through it. Well, the second part is true, but the first part is not uh, because God is sovereign. He does bring affliction, but he also is sovereign in blessing. And that's good news. Uh, and, and, and so uh, God can bring also good out of the very bad things that he has brought into our lives to experience. He can bring as much joy to us as the sadness we've experienced. In fact, I believe God wants to do that. I do, because he's a gracious God. The Jews in the wilderness had lived uh, many days, even years, uh, uh, of affliction, and, and Moses is very honest. You know, he's acknowledging the sufferings. He, one of the lessons here in this in this uh, verse, I think, is don't live in denial. Okay, be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Lord, we have been hurting. We've really had it pretty rough. We need relief. Please, God, will you send us in the same measure? Would you? Please recompense us. Would you please give us in the same measure your goodness and your kindness? Now Moses knew that he and that first generation would not make it out of the wilderness. So he was not asking God, change your mind and let us all get into the promised land. That's not going to happen. But what he did know is at least they could have the joy of the Lord and experience his goodness and blessing even though they were in the wilderness and even though most of that, all of them in that generation would die there. Now you and I are in the wilderness of this world. The, the, our, our pilgrim journey in this world is likened unto that, that wilderness experience that the Jews went through. And uh, Jesus said, I, I, you know, Father, I pray that you take them not out of the world. Don't take them out of the wilderness, Lord. <laughs> but will you... Sustain them. Will you show them your love and mercy and so forth in the wilderness? But listen to this. Um, 
you know, wouldn't it be great if, if all the bad things that happened in your life, God would say, okay, I'm going to send you blessings that compensate, that make up for every single bad thing that's happened, every negative thing that someone has said to you or done to you or that's happened to you. Would you take that offer today? Would you? You're settling for way too less, way, way too little. Put that in. <laughs> no, because what do we have in Jesus Christ? We have far more than a simple balancing out of the good and the bad. Here's what we're promised in 2 Corinthians 4.17, 4, that our light affliction, yes, we have affliction, just like the Jews in the wilderness, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So yes, we have tribulation, and some have more than others, it seems. Some some people's lives are unthinkably tragic in that way. But every believer who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ will experience an eternity of joy and blessing that far outweighs, that far makes up for the little momentary affliction that we have in this life. That's hard for us to grasp, but we need to try <laughs> as much as possible. All right, the fourth petition, verse 16, a prayer for the manifestation of God's glory. Moses prays in verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. I mean, each one of these requests are, are I think, are striking. Uh, let your work appear to your servants. What is that? Well, think of God's works and, and power works of power and deliverance that God had already uh, enabled them to see as he brought them out of Egypt. We had the ten plagues. Um, and don't you love reading through the ten plagues uh, that God uh, brought down on Egypt and how miraculous it was and how, you know, here's Pharaoh, I'm not going to serve the Lord. Moses says, okay, here it comes, another plague. And you're like, yes, got Got Pharaoh back, and Pharaoh didn't learn, and it keeps going, and miracle after miracle. And then they leave. Finally, Pharaoh says, okay, go. This time I mean it. You can go. But then he follows them, and, and, and he pins them in at the edge of the Red Sea. And, of course, the people were very afraid because they didn't remember that God was amazing and could do miraculous things like he had just been doing for so long. Uh, and, and, and Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And they did see that salvation. So the waters parted. They walked through on dry land. They got out on the other side and they saw the waters cave back in upon Pharaoh and his army. And so you see, he says, let your work appear to your servants. Well, he had already appeared, but it had been a while since they had seen God work. And maybe that's true in your life. Maybe that's true, I think, in our lives today. Uh, but Moses was asking, God, will you intervene? Will you break into history? And may you let us see it. We know it's true. Lord, you've worked in, in the past. We know you're a God that is at work. And in many ways, that work is, is, is unseen. It's on the inside. It's, it's in ways that we can't uh, necessarily recognize. It's by faith that we understand uh, but 
Lord, can we not see your mighty works again? It seems to me, and I, I can be wrong, because I only live in one little small part of the world, and I really don't know everything that's going on in the world, but it seems that the church, at least in our day, in our part of the world, is is in a similar situation. That, that, that in the, It's been a while since God has shown us his power. It seems that the powers of darkness are ascending in our culture. Uh, and we've read about revivals in history. Don't you love to read about those revivals? It's encouraging. But Lord, where are you? Will you not revive us again? Psalm 85. Let your work appear. Let us see your salvation. Let, let us see your sanctifying work in our own lives. Lord, as we struggle against sin. Lord, will you show us your power? And, and we, if, we, if we pray that way. You see, Moses is praying fervently like uh, we're urged to do in James chapter 5. Like Elijah prayed. And so we know God is at work. We know God is at work in this church. But sometimes we may not see it. Lord, would you show us your work? And it's, you know, um, I think of Simeon and his prayer. Lord, let me see your salvation before I depart from this earth. And he goes into the temple. And what does he see? He sees the infant child, Jesus. And he says, now... I can depart in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. Uh, you, you let me see your salvation. So, Lord, let me see your grace at work in my life. Let me see the change. Maybe others can see it, but I haven't seen it. Lord, would you, would you revive this church? Lord, would you save others who are lost in their sins? Let me see your saving work. Let me see some of my loved ones come to know Jesus. We know that your power is great. We know you can save. But we just want to see it. In the second part of verse 16, Moses says, Let your glory appear to their children. So this is a prayer for future generations. It shows that Moses wasn't just thinking about himself and that first generation. No, he knew that the future of Israel, and indeed the future of the coming Messiah through uh, his people, Depended on the next generation and the one after that and so forth. And so the first generation wouldn't see God's glory in the promised land. Uh, so he prays for that next generation who would. Even though Moses wouldn't see it, he prays that they would see it. You see, some people don't care what happens to the next generation, sadly. It seems like our nation today has been that, that the next generation, we've just given up on them. But we, we need to pray far more earnestly for our children and our children's children to follow the Lord, to stay the course long after we are gone. Lord, even if I don't live to see it, Lord, would you, would you bring it about after I die? Lord, the future of the church depends upon it. And now this prayer, I believe, was, was answered with that second generation entering the promised land. And that second generation, uh, they were living right. They were doing the right things. And Joshua led them. And they conquered Canaan. And they entered and possessed the land. Uh, they did pretty well. They were much better than their parents. So that prayer was answered. And yet that prayer is also being answered today. 
when people today come to know Christ and, and are, are spiritually um, uh, caused to, uh, to see the glory of God and, and enter into his church and begin to worship the Lord. So, so Moses' prayer is being answered today. It's being answered today in your life and in my life. And we need to pray then, especially for our children and grandchildren, it's a very critical thing for the future of the church on earth. Lord, would you cause us to see your revival power in our generation, but also in our children's lives, that they may see your glory too. Finally, and, and I'll try to get through this, Quickly, but a prayer for beauty and prosperity. First, let the beauty and let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us. What is the beauty of the Lord and why did Moses pray for it to be upon them? Well, the beauty of the Lord is his favorable countenance, his gracious influence and glorious presence. Pastor John Gill wrote that the beauty of the Lord is the grace and favor of God. It's his gracious presence in his ordinances, which makes his tabernacles amiable and lovely and his ways of pleasantness. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. So today, by, by faith, we behold the beauty of the Lord. We behold the beauty of the Lord in His Word as we've been hearing it. We behold His beauty in the sacrament of the Lord's table, which displays the beautiful sacrifice that He made for us. And we see how pleasant, how lovely His covenant is, and that we should be included in it. The beauty of the Lord is that perfect righteousness that is called a robe of righteousness that He puts upon His people. And so He makes, let His beauty be upon us. Let us be robed in His righteousness alone. But the beauty of holiness is also part of that. So not only are we righteous in Christ, we are being made like Him and being conformed into His image. The beauty of holiness, the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit Ultimately, Jesus Christ himself is the beauty of the Lord. God is invisible. We can't see him, but Christ has revealed him. His beauty is made known. Uh, scripture speaks of, uh, in, I think it's in Psalms, Song of Songs, the one who is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000, altogether lovely, fairer than the children of men, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. That's Jesus. The mountains and the hills, the forests and the fields of this world are amazing in their beauty, but Jesus shines much brighter and fairer. The sun, the moon, and the stars at night are amazing, especially if you get out past the city lights into the country and you see the awe-inspiring beauty of these heavenly things, but Jesus outshines them all. What if you could see an angel of God? You would be in awe of the beauty of that creature. But Jesus, Jesus shines brighter. He shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. So may the, the beauty of Christ rest upon us so that, so that when people see us, they see a reflection, they get a glimpse of Jesus Christ that they might see something of the beauty of Christ. And we'll sing this in just a moment. May His beauty rest upon me 
as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only Him. Well, Moses concludes with a prayer for prosperity. May you establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So God, you see, does everything, but He he works in us by His grace so that we might work. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we're not merely passive in this. And so may our works be done, be established, done in thanksgiving for all that Christ has done for us. And that's, you see, what we do in the Lord's table. We come to Him by way of giving thanks for Him. And we pray for strength and for, for a new start. So that we could live our lives and have our works be established. Well, we may live to be 70, 80, 90, or longer. But when we reach the end, and we will, unless the Lord comes back, uh, may we be beautiful. May we be absorbed, not in our beauty, but in the beauty of Christ. He is our eternal dwelling place because from everlasting to everlasting, He is, was, and will be God.